Well, hello and welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. Mike told me I had to have a, have a new opening as opposed to, all right, so I went with hello. This is episode number 34. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. <laughs> Aloha. I'm your flight attendant on Hawaiian Airlines, Mike McKenna. Welcome back, everybody. First, before we get started, I have I have to get this off my chest. Yeah, boy. On my way to work this morning. You ran over no, a trash can. No. I have, you know, uh, our house, every, everywhere in my neighborhood is inundated with green dust, right? And then you get this sticky stuff. Oh, the stuff. pollen. The pollen. Yeah, it's pollen. Yeah. And then you get this sticky stuff kind of mixed in with it. And then, of course, a bird did its number on my window. And... You're, I'm going to be driving today you're, you're, to Baltimore to catch a baseball game with well, a couple of friends. We think it's going to be a baseball game. We think. We'll see how it turns out. And I do not want to drive with all that stuff on my windshield. But I also didn't want to use my wipers because, I did, you know, you can't get the bird the bird due off. Of right. Them, right. Right. So I wanted to use one of them damn squeegee deals at the gas stations. I went down Georgia Avenue and every single gas station, either no squeegees or no water. I mean, what is the deal? Like, okay, if you're listening, if you're out there, gas gas station people, just do the courtesy of giving us a little bit of water. I don't even care if it's dirty and muddy. I just wanted to sque- to squeegee my window. Yeah, I don't want. I don't understand it. It's I, just bothersome. I don't want to be this guy because I this is a thematic you don't like. But in America, the gas stations all have squeegees and water. They don't. This is a, this is a, not the, in this America. Not in this you, little weird you, bubble that we live in. If you don't want to, I mean, I stopped. I looked either looked for the for the bars, you know, sticking yeah, out yeah, of the thingies, or when they had them, I drove in, and none of them had any water in them. Zero. I must have hit four gas stations on the way here. I'm not going to say so anything. Annoying. I'm just going to say if you don't want to live in the Soviet Union, you probably shouldn't live in the Soviet Union. That's just it. It's me. Yeah, it is you, but uh, uh, we I mean, are. I mean, you know, we you, you can move. I mean, thank. I guarantee in Florida, in Florida, the gas stations <laughs> have. Are, are you listening, Beetle? They have they have squeegee. They have workable squeegee uh, deals, dependable in, and reliable. In, in you get stations. the bird poop off in North Florida. Um, <laughs> great day yesterday. Had lunch with some friends of ours. Felt like we got the band back together. Uh, the CDC came out and said the benevolent CDC says now we can take our masks. We don't have to wear our masks outdoors in small gatherings if we're vaccinated. If you've been vaccinated and there's three and other there's conditions three or more, and possibly maybe you can even go to church now. Seventy five percent. Yeah, well, I hate to say this, but I've been walking around outside without a mask and <laughs> going to church more or less since this thing started. I this is crazy. I, isn't it interesting how, the timing of their announcement? Which right before right before the president's speech? Yeah, that that oh. that's not a coincidence, is it? I I have no earthly idea. I mean, it it, it again. We have this great big giant split in this country between people who are like. This thing's over and I'm done. And and the folks in the Northeast and California who are like, no, we can't be done. It can't be over. It cannot be it over. It can't be over. Let's put it this way. I was in a restaurant in North Carolina fairly recently. I'm not going to name the restaurant because I don't want to get busted by the health department. Nobody was wearing masks. I mean, I walked in with a mask. 
I was the only one into place. Even the servers, the managers, nobody had masks. It, it we're getting to that point in this thing, right? Yeah, and here's here's the thing that irks me a little bit. Uh, uh, well, yesterday we're going to talk about the big speech, the the hour sixty seven minute extravaganza. Really? But is that all you went for? I think it was around. Maybe maybe it's a little less. Uh, I'll go back and look. I've got the actual number. But here's my deal. Yes. What was there? Two hundred people in that room, invite only. Yes. Yes. Actually, everybody was masked, including the two ladies behind. Including every all these President people have been Biden. inoculated. Every single one vaccinated. Yeah. So, what kind of message are they actually sending? I have no idea what message they're sending, and I don't even care. I don't think anybody else does because nobody watched it. Um, you know the interesting part of that. The, the whole thing yesterday, and I don't want to get ahead of you on your the big speech thing. The most interesting part of the big speech was nothing that was said. The most interesting part of the big speech was a text I got last night um, from a guy um, from a guy in the house. Um, I don't want to say exactly where he's from. He's in the he's in the house management operation, right? And he um, hit me at around uh, nine o'clock, and he said, "You know, they got walk up tickets for this thing if you want to go." Un, unreal. And I was just like, you, what? Because last year and the analog, right, the State of the Union, um, which was the high watermark of the Trump administration, we were literally crawling over the dead bodies of our colleagues to get tickets into this thing. Seriously, right on game day. He's like, yeah, you, you want to come to this thing? Just swing <laughs> on by. I was just like, okay, yeah. that popular. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but. You know, the mixed messages there are are quite striking. It's like, okay, everyone is vaccinated, but yet we're going to spread everyone out about 8, 10 feet, and we're going to wear masks behind the, the president. What is the they, – they talk about vax I, – I, I'm a dead I'm beating a dead horse here, but they talk about, oh, we got to figure out this vaccine. Why is this vaccine hesitancy happening? What's going on? If, you're, yeah. if your world doesn't change after you take a vaccine, yeah. why take a vaccine? Yeah, well, I get sick for no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you know, the other thing is on the – who was on the dais, right? Him and the, the president and, and Speaker Pelosi and um, – uh, Vice President Harris, right? So you had one person in the very flower of her life, um, and then you have two people who, truthfully, they get a flu something that could happen. <laughs> so I could see where they'd be like, you know what, this mask thing, we might just want to wear this indefinitely because and, – and in, in neither case um, – and this is for my mother who doesn't listen, but she should. Um, in neither case are the, the octogenarians in question particularly spry. Uh, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, it was it was an epic 64 minutes and 58 seconds to be exact. Yay! Uh, in which the I, I was Did it he was see? in the background for me. I couldn't watch the whole thing like word for word. I was a little bit preoccupied with uh, there was a baseball game happening too sure, at the man. same time. So I was. Uh, Do these know, people you, you want call to... it uh, double? What is that phrase when you're doing two things? Multitasking, minding yeah, your own yeah, damn business. Do you ever get the feeling? But like... he blew the punchline big time. Bill Beck blew better. the Bill Beck better. He blew it. Bill Beck better, butter. He said, "We need not only do we need to build back better. Oh, we need to build back better." <laughs> like, he just rolled right through it. it, it and there were, I don't, I should have started a drinking game with, look, folks, look, look. come I mean, on, yeah. here's the deal. 
he had quite a few of those, which were which were amusing. But honestly, like there's a scene in in Jaws where the the captain is talking about sharks and they got those black eyes, those cold black eyes. You know what I'm talking Robert about? Shaw, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, man, his eyes are like black. He looks like he's staring into like the abyss. It's 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 a little bit creepy. It's a little I, bit maybe creepy. He is. I don't know. I, maybe creepy Joe was the right expression. I, I don't know. I I still think you should probably just call him President Biden. You know, I'm I'm on a jihad. My column this morning. I encourage everybody to read it if you can, um, if you can read it. I know many of our listeners aren't really literate first, uh, but my column this morning is. That the Republicans, for as long as the folks on the right, not the Republicans, but everyone on the right, as long as they are concerned about triggering the libs, owning the libs, and dunking on the libs, and otherwise seeking emotional gratification through Twitter, Facebook, and um, Fox News, we're going to be in a ditch. Because we're seriously, we're getting stupider as it's going on. Um, and you know, you have you have otherwise rational adults talking about dunking on somebody. It's like we've become fifteen year olds. Yeah, well, and that's I mean, why Ron is... Klain to to finish. Sorry, that's fine. That's why guys like Ron Klain are beating our asses on this thing because they're serious people doing serious things, and we're children. Well, I mean, like the ch- everybody. Who, I, I imagine every one of these people have like some young person doing their tweets. Which people? So, you know, the Ted Cruz's, and everyone has to have a. a Quick Twitter retort uh, to this and that and the other, right? So it's just a bunch of kids doing doing tweets on behalf of gonna, either a celebrity I'm, or a politician. I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize. So I can't imagine that these guys are sitting around doing it themselves. Well, you know as well as I do, there are grown people who get paid for this. You know as well as I do, the former president of the United States did this on his own. You know as well as I did, half yeah. of his administration but he, does but this twi- stuff. But Trump used Twitter as as his form of communication. The difference between Trump and he initiated the, the difference between Trump and everybody else is he was actually elected president. Everybody else is just a bunch of petulant children. Yes. And and I'm from now on anybody here's what set me off. Here's what triggered me. Matt Gates sent out a fundraising letter saying help me trigger the libs. And I was just like that is a perfect summation of everything that's wrong with us nowadays. Yeah. Well, everyone, everyone, and then did was it a triple match? I, I think it was a five times a five match. times match. <laughs> but you had to be like the first fourteen in or something. Yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, sixty-four minutes fifty-eight seconds, which yes. is the record. So Joe Biden, a record for President Biden since Ronald Reagan's first address to Congress. Oh, pre- a record for first addresses. He set two records. One, the latest. Oh, a uh, latest in in the year. In yeah, the yeah, year yeah, yeah. and the longest. So uh, really? I guess he decided to show everyone that he's got stamina by going 64 oh. minutes and 58 seconds. Ronald Reagan's address was 32 minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah, and it was better. And George W. Bush's first address uh, was 42 minutes. George W. 49 minutes, I should say. George, well, Barack I... went 51. Trump went 60. Um, Bill Clinton went 60. But we all know Bill Clinton... Love, love to go long, right? <laughs> that guy loved to go long. So, and also, I don't understand why it has all all of a sudden become this laundry list of like stuff. That's that, the state know, of the union crap. It's, it's really just pathetic. It's, but anyway, it, well, I was just going to say, go ahead, you first. 
I was just going to say, uh, that's about all the time I wanted to devote to it. I want to say one. It's worth. No, it's true. I want to say that's completely accurate. One other thing about it that always strikes me. Okay, so you just laid out Reagan did 32 minutes, right? Um, everyone else is in their 60s, 50s and 60s. This is terrible TV. Who the hell watches this stuff? I mean, it's just awful television. It's boring. And Reagan, who was a television guy and a movie guy, must have recognized that. He must have been like, this is god awful. Give him 30 this is god awful TV. Let's get good in minutes and, and then, then get I'm out. Gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there won't be another one, right? Well, he's there will not be another He'll give one. a State of the Union next year. No, there won't be another Ronald Reagan. There will just not I be. I don't know. I keep hoping we get somebody out of, out of TV or movie land who's like, Okay, we're just going to rework all of this <laughs> so it's like visually not like embarrassing. Because this thing, this thing last night, anybody's, it's like meet the press for like an hour and a half. You're just like, what if I just kill myself instead? Yeah. All right. Anyhow, big vote yesterday on the Senate floor. Really? Vote. Senate voted to nix Trump rule limiting methane regulation. The yeah, Senate man. voted. This is from the Hill. Yeah, I'm the excited. Senate voted Wednesday to undo a Trump administration rule that rescinded methane emission limits and made it harder to regulate releases of GHG from the oil and gas sector. Fifty-two, forty-two, three Republicans: Susan Collins, Portman, Rob Portman Graham, and, and Collins. Graham, yeah, yeah. And Gra- Graham voted. Uh, I think he voted with with McCain on the CRA. Oh, I have no against, idea. Against because remember the the Obama rules were put down on the Senate floor and McCain voted against. I don't quote me, but I think Graham joined him. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. So I, I, which know. would have killed the Obama rule in the first place. So this is an interesting test now. Yeah, what a substantially similar. Uh, what is this? Is this kick? I believe this will kick off the substantially similar. I'm looking forward to the courts telling us what substantially yeah. similar means. Yeah. The, the you know the funny thing is the guys who wrote that. Um, oh, what was his first name? It was, it was two guys. One of them you know, Kyle McSlara, right? Was was a seat, was a Senate staffer who wrote part of this. And uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the Congressional Review Act, which is a, a law that was passed. Uh, in the 90s. Yeah, top of 94, 95. I was in, up on the hill yeah, looking for delay. Um, says that a simple majority vote can can overturn a substantial, like a large rule, like a very expensive rule, basically. Um, but the kicker is, is that uh, the language in the law says that the administ- an administration cannot then pass a substantially similar rule. For obvious reasons, right? You know, you change a couple of words and just come right, right back with the same rule. So now the question is, since that has never been adjudicated, what is a substantially similar rule? Yeah, man, we're about to. And uh, as a reminder, the, when President Trump was elected, the Republicans on the Hill used the CRA some 10, 11 times yeah, I want to say fourteen. It was, it was, it was. That's and a, got most, yeah, a yeah. lot of them through, which yeah. are now null and void, never been challenged on the substantially similar rule, which is also why, in part, I believe that the Democrats 
who control both houses have not been using sure, the CRA sure. because they like rules and regulations <laughs> and they want to preserve the option to issue rules and regulations. Well, so I I was curious about this. I yeah. was curious about this. You think about that. You think about the timing on this thing. It's a high risk operation because if you're going to spend a year and a half coming up with a rule and then it's going to get adjudicated as substantially similar, that's a year and a half too. You're at the end of your first term. So if you're wrong about this, You've made a big, big mistake. The thing that surprises me, though, what I don't understand is, why don't the Democrats vote for it? I thought the API was their bestest buddies and going to help them out on carbon and all that other hoorah. And didn't the chamber just, like, endorse a whole bunch of Democrats on the House side? Didn't they help them out? The 23 Democrats who are sitting in the House of Representatives who are endorsed by the chamber, didn't those guys— uh, but they, but did but, I miss something? But I think API the 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 integrateds didn't want Trump to issue the methane. I know, rule. I know. So it it, hmm. it 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 is. Um, I think this quote from Schumer is silly, but I'll read it anyway. The fact that we are using our first CRA on the methane rule shows how important it is, and shows the difference in having a Democratic majority when it comes to climate change. The New York Democrat called it, quote, one of the most important votes, not only that this Congress has cast, but has been cast in the last decade in terms of our fight against global warming. And that's all she wrote, baby. What a what a bunch of nonsense. Okay, so what's the end game on this? On methane? On methane. Uh, Someone's going to file a lawsuit, right? No, no. Uh, they had. They need to wait for another. They need for wait, to wait for, for the a rule. Biden guys to start yeah, a new come rule. up a rule. It, okay. It's. I'm very curious to see how the Biden guys are going to approach this because it's. It's going to be a very high risk operation. For the them. Obama rule was never. Was it finalized? Nope. nope. It was never finalized. Nope. nope. So all that they did was repeal the Trump rule. The Trump methane rule. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Right. It's the only. It's the only final so, rule that they've had. Right? How can Schumer say it was so significant? The most consequential thing I ever. I mean, because it's not. It's the most consequential. Tom, don't be a denier. <laughs> that's the most consequential thing it's ever. Just, I wish these people would grow up. I mean, it's just so stupid. It, I'm telling you, the whole, the whole, our entire profession is becoming dumber every day. <laughs> During the press conference on Wednesday, Schumer also vowed that he would that the vote would be part of a quote long chain of activities the Senate will take to fight the menace of global warming. Okay? <laughs> is it a crisis or is it a menace? Well, I come on, man, just pick one. <laughs> I don't, we shouldn't laugh about that. Okay, the... but the thing is if it's really as as I said before, if it's really a menace, if it's really the menace, it's a menace that they say it is, then why, for example, it has poor woke E and E News pointed out uh, in an article yesterday, Biden disruptor disrupts detractors with war on warming, not on coal. Joe Biden won the presidency with a call to threat climate change as, uh, to treat climate change as the existential challenge. That's going to determine our future. The cry for survival comes from the planet itself. Which, and it, yet, by the way, that's that's a quote from President Biden. Like, <laughs> it comes from the planet itself. Um, a, a cry that can't be any more desperate or more clear. And yet, quote, 
from the article, Biden has already strayed somewhat from his initial climate agenda after campaigning on a plan to spend over $2 trillion uh, in four years, the White House now proposes a timeline of at least eight years and diverting about half the money to other issues like caregivers and broadband. Biden also walked back his pledge, reiterated during the autumn presidential debates, of no fracking and or oil drilling on federal lands. The administration has paused new, new leasing, uh, but officials say that's only temporary. Meanwhile, Interior is still issuing new permits for existing leases. These moves reflect the push and pull of the Democratic coalition. Those same internal dynamics are already shaping the congressional process on infrastructure. It, yeah. This is this is not. This is it's an come on. This is about it's an existential problem, okay. Tom. Okay. It's a, it's a threat to our planet. The very planet's crying at, out. At, at least the scales are falling from the eyes. Of of our E and E our, our E and E yeah, reporters. So I actually, if you read the if you read the first sentence of that story, just the first sentence, it 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 it's a dead tip as to how the reporter is thinking about the world. Go ahead, read the first sentence. Yeah, I did. Running? Joe Biden won the presidency with a call to treat climate change as the existential challenge that's going to determine our future. Stop. Right. That's the first that's the full first. That's the lead sentence on that story. Right. There's no way Joe Biden won the presidency on the basis of a call to address climate change. Right? So right away, the reporter's like at a minimum way, way, way out over his skis. Right. Yeah. Um, it I wonder how they're going to feel when they find out that 40 percent of that money has been tagged to go to EJ um, concerns. Right. OK. You're like so if you're upset about all this other stuff, just know this number is actually going to get cut by 40 percent. That's going to something else, too. OK. And if it's any clearer that he did not win the presidency on the issue of the of dealing with the existential threat of climate change. Some organization yesterday released a nationwide survey. Who are those guys? The American Energy Alliance. Why can't they just shut up and go away? The polling was conducted by the reputable MWR Strategies. Yeah, I see. It's a whole conspiracy. What were some of the top line... Yeah, I mean, it was... What were some of the top line responses in this survey of... 1,000 voters with a margin of error of plus or minus 3.1%. Yeah, I think we actually think it was likely voters. I'm not exactly sure how it got asked. It doesn't really matter. The registrar of these are, are likelies. Um, we found out a bunch of stuff, but let me just give you the quick highlights, right? Um, climate change remains at the bottom of, a, of, of people's priority list, right? When you ask them, hey, most pressing issue facing the country, and second most pressing issue facing a country, if you don't give them a list, climate change is down there like 1, 1%, 2%. I think probably not bigger on yeah, this thing. And just to clarify, when you ask someone open-ended, what is the most pressing issue facing the United States? And we have done this in every survey deliberately open-ended to know what people are thinking about without being prompted. Sure, man. And for the last decade... Oh. Environment and or climate in one way, shape, or form shows up where? Yeah, at the bottom. If at all. Well, I mean, you know, at the bottom with every with all the other one percent or issues that people, you know, think about it. Look, the truth of the matter is those 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 um concerns are always pretty pretty um predictable, right? Economy, healthcare, 
crime, education, national security are always like in the top five, right? Usually it's economy and healthcare, and then the other three come along with it, right? And then there's a bunch, of, there's a big trail off, and then there's a whole bunch of things. And a thousand people, you know, ten of them say, eh, the environment, sure. Or, you know, like two, three, three or four will say, eh, climate change. Um, so that's one, right? Prioritization. Two is, um, you know, there's there's no willingness to pay. Now I'm going to have to get on the phone with a reporter from, uh, you know, Renewables R Us or whatever this newsletter is to, uh, later today, and because she said, well, you know, your your own survey says that people people are happy to have the government fund renewable research and yeah, it was you know, a, and, and it was a PR. It, well, it was a PR outfit for it, like a renewable. Yeah, whatever. Deal. And it's it's true. People are perfectly happy to throw a bunch of government money um, at research and development. Mm -hmm. What which was specifically what the question that's was. That's research and development. Mercifully. And, and subsidies. They Truman, said they're happy true. to allow uh, the true. government to. But the totality, the, the totality of the poll. Yeah, man. It, it tells the same was story. Was completely missing, of course, from this person. Well, she... and it also shows that when we do surveys, we actually do legitimate sure surveys, not. right? We're not everything. afraid, no, to to ex to let release a survey with answers that aren't necessarily yeah. like aligned with our perspective on the issue. Yeah, we we let the data run free, the, man. But the totality of the survey stands. It's well, not a priority issue. There is certainly no. Support for government solutions versus innovation oh, yeah, that, and businesses nobody, and the private sector yeah. and no carbon taxes and no increased regulation for any of this stuff. And and go back to your yeah, willingness to pay. There's no willingness to pay, right? It's always the same story. You ask how much you're willing to pay to address climate change, to reduce temperatures by whatever, to get rid of fossil fuels, right? We've asked it in a couple of different ways over the last 15, 20 years. It's always the same, right? You know, the average is always, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. The median is always like 50 bucks or 60 bucks or 40 bucks, usually around 40 bucks. This most recent one, I think, was 20 bucks. Is that what the most recent, is that what the median on this thing was? Um, it, it, because it, you know, we did it. Um, $20. Yeah, 20 bucks, right? The economy is dicey enough. People are like, yeah, I'll throw 20 bucks into the hat. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll forego a few trips yeah. to Starbucks. But the idea that there's some willingness to pay 40,000 bucks or 1,400 bucks, you know, the, the, the Biden infrastructure plan would cost each household 1,400 bucks per year. If I put that in the survey, had I known that was coming, I'd have put that in the survey and say, hey, would you be willing to pay 1,400 bucks a year for this stuff? Or worse, would you be willing to put it on your kid's credit card? This fourteen hundred bucks. Um, I guarantee you, I would have gotten maybe one person in a thousand, maybe two, who would have said, "Yeah, I'm happy to do that." Everybody else would have said, "No, don't be ridiculous." So, um, you know, and the the other thing that that the survey, um, you know, asked was, you know, who who should decide, should the federal government decide what kind of cars you can buy, right? Which is a, a, a dig right at the, right at the, you know, the internal combustion engine ban, which I'm still not sure we're getting, but I think it's a legitimate um, concern and threat. And, you know, I forget what the break on that was. I think it was 6920 or something like that. It was a big, you know, it was a four to one break, three and a half, four to one break. Um, 69. Uh Wait, I'm sorry. Sixty nine percent said that electricity prices will increase. would increase. Okay, that's the sixty nine percent in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the break on the it was a question. Um, the government should mandate what kind of cars you can buy. Sixteen percent said yes. Eighty percent. Yeah, it was eighty twenty. Right, it was an eighty eighty. Yeah, so it was a four to one deal. And 
and, and it's been a four to one deal. We've been asking it that you know we've been asking that for a couple of years, and it's been about a four to one deal. Bottom line is, citizens are perfectly happy to have the government um, throw some cash at R and D. They're perfectly happy to throw some cash at um, you know to subsidize renewable energy companies, right? When you get into the guts of the wind and solar thing, like, do you think it should go on for 30 years? People are like, no, but yeah, they're perfectly happy. What they're not perfectly happy with is they don't want the government to make any decisions for them. They don't trust the government to make any decisions for them. And they don't want to well, spend a whole lot of money on this thing. <laughs> and and Chuck Schumer, the most consequential vote, and we're going to do more stuff. You're just like, you, you may... But um, but it's going to get undone over time because there's no durable public opinion on this issue, right? Yeah, a couple quick, uh, a couple other quick things, and I, I want to do a little of an aside here because I know a friend of mine uh, who ca- occasionally listens sees the world differently than I do on these issues. Just one. we bring all this stuff up not because we're belittling the issue, not because we're we're sort of like poo pooing everything. We bring it up because because of the content because of the context of the issue versus the level of hot air that the democrats put around it right if there's an if there's a challenge here that's that's to be met it will be it can and will be met it has been met uh this is all clown show stuff well right there's nothing real going on oh it 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 and it has no bearing whatsoever on the electorate. Look, I, I I look at climate change like like most Americans. I think I'm like, is it a, is it you know where is it on the big scale of life between nothing and an existential crisis? Right? I'm like, yeah, it's between an annoyance and a problem. Right? If I if I got it in a survey, I'd be like, yeah, it's a problem. Right? But we got lots of problems. And the other thing that bothers me, two things bother me about these guys. One is they don't believe it's an existential threat because they're not acting like it, right? If this was an existential threat, they'd be acting like it. They wouldn't be saying, you know what, let's throw some money at R&D. They would seriously be talking about, we got to get cars off the road and we got to stop people from living in great big giant houses yeah. and we got bun- to do a bunch of stuff. If, if this was a real existential threat, these these if you believe that, these things that you're proposing are not only woefully inadequate, they're like orders of magnitude yeah. Inadequate, and, and that's the other and, point. And, is is that when when they have an opportunity, when they've had opportunities to deal with this, they had an opportunity to deal with this in two thousand and nine and ten, and they didn't. I mean, Chuck Schumer's been in Congress since nineteen thirty, right? Chuck I mean, Schumer, it, 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 it's crazy. Was number two sitting around waiting for yeah. Harry Reid to you know get punched in the yeah. face by his brother. And they had a super majority in the Senate and, and, Harry, and never addressed this issue. And Harry Reid, Harry Reid's been been you know been in Congress since the Civil War. So the the other thing that that you know data, you know me, I'm a big believer that data can be informative, right? It doesn't make the decisions for you, but it informs the decisions. When you look at America, especially, but um, other places as well, when you look at America. United States, and you look at our emissions profile over the last 15 years, what you see is a couple of things, right? In the last 10, 12 years, there's been a steady decline of 1.1% year over year, right? We're the only country on the planet that can say that. Um, In those 15 years, we have reduced... um, We have reduced um, greenhouse gas emissions, carbon dioxide equivalent, right? 
by about a thousand, um, a million tons, right? By about a billion tons. Um, and that's a, a pretty impressive achievement. The tricky thing about it is what's inside that number. About 850 million of those billion tons comes right out of the electric utility industry. Of course, and the it's, switching. And it's a direct result of coal to natural gas switching. Which is partially a result of regulations, but mostly a result, mostly a result of, of the fact of, that we were able to extract these resources from it, the ground it, through the use of technology right. by the private sector. That's right. Bam. That's right. And that's that it like I said, data isn't always dispositive, but it's always informative. And when you know something about the data, you're like, here's bad news, kitties. Government's done nothing on this thing. Yeah. Um it, it, and one last data point that's relevant. Kyoto Protocol nineteen ninety seven, right? All the nations, we're gonna do something about this. Kyoto Protocol. Since 1997, since the protocol was signed and agreed to by all these nations, greenhouse gas emissions have increased by 50% globally. If you think government's going to solve this, if you come to the government for salvation, any government, United States government, China government, any government, you are living in a world of delusion. And that's my other objection to it, right? People are just like, guys, the data is telling you everything you need to know, and you you are... ignoring it for your own purposes. But that methane vote's most important thing ever. Most consequential. I've got a couple other quick things on this. First, um, this morning, I think it was this morning, Zach Coleman from Politico <laughs> pushed out a piece. You know, they have the morning rag sheet. Yeah, you know, morning energy, sheet. whatever, yeah. Solve for X. White House officials have said the ambitious target to reduce emissions by 50 to 52% by 2030 was built on a rigorous analysis that laid out the pathways to success. But nearly a week later, no one outside the administration seems to have seen that analysis. Pros, Zach Coleman reports. Um, Several Republican Democratic committee offices on the Hill told Zach they had not been briefed by the administration, nor have they received any detailed explanation of how the White House plans to achieve that goal. The lack of information has raised some suspicions that the goal... Uh, maybe more of a political aspiration than a meticulously detailed go, strategy. Go on hmm. now. Okay. It, maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because of this. Uh, excuse me? My daddy is a geologist, and he says there actually isn't any concrete evidence of global warming. That's not true. Global warming is going to kill us all. The Republicans are responsible. Thank you. <laughs> that was literally like a, over a decade ago on South Park. So, so uh, two things. First off, thanks for thanks for um, reading that story because I, I I set it aside. I'm like I got to read that story. I didn't know Zach had written it. So, so a couple of things. One, thank you. Two, Zach Coleman's is 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 quite is quite a good reporter, and he goes places that other people don't really seem to want to go, um, and. Uh, number three, they're never gonna ever <laughs> gonna never gonna be a rig- rigorous. Uh, Obama never told us how he got twenty six to twenty eight percent, right? For all I know, Joe Biden just woke up and said, "Well, the boss, well, the boss, not, did, not Joe, Gina, the Let's, boss, the boss woke up. No, it might have been Joe. He might have said, you know, boss, that did twenty six to twenty eight percent. I want to do at least twenty points better than that. Um, so just you know, we'll tell him fifty percent. So he's got a little." competitive and, streak and in him after of all. Of course huh? he does. And the the um the other thing that strikes me about it, and this is something Zach probably um is gonna run to the shred down. All of these things, the um 
the net zero in the electricity sector by 2035, the net zero in the economy by 2050, internal combustion engine ban, um, you know, EVs by, you know, all EV sales by 2035, this 50, 52%, right? They all have one thing in common, um, apart from the the um, somewhat deranged, and I mean that Obvious in... political pandering. I, I mean that in a sense, yeah, I mean that in a sense of not being ranged. Um, there's no detail, there's no plan, there's no step-by-step -step of how this is going to happen, there's no actual mechanism to make any of these things happen. Um, this administration is going, is clearly now going to do that, right? This is going to be their thing. They're going to announce stuff, and then there's going to be some details later on, but there's never going to be actual mechanisms. Yeah, in the meantime, they're pushing, 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 tax, 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 spend, spend, spend. They're yep. going back to the old playbook. Yeah, man, preaching that old tried time tried and true played playbook of the Democrats, tax and spend. Um, what you know, the, another, we, we, we love to throw numbers around. The, the latest analysis was that the, the, every American family. Household, yeah. Every American household is going, if this were to be passed uh, as envisioned, is going to be on the hook for 50. 46,000 bucks and some change. Okay, I was going to round up. but you well, know, 50, yeah. You can go 46,000. Hey, 46, and let's just call it a cool $46,000 per hey, American hey, family. See, the, the interesting thing about that is. I mean, apart from the the astounding amount of of dollars, right? Is the uh, and by the way, that's an extra forty six thousand bucks in addition to what you're already paying. Of course, right? With all of the stimulus yeah. that we've already the thing the thing that the, the thing that um the thing that I find is interesting is you know it's an estimate because we don't have any details of any of these things. Yes, nobody has any details. I spent three hours on the phone on a conference call yesterday with some of the best tax minds in the country. Right, guys, you know, guys who work big companies. Um, you know, guys who work in, in tax consultancies, guys who work in a place like PricewaterhouseCooper, PwC, excuse me, um, they have only a limited understanding of what's in this thing because nobody's seen any details. That's, you know, it, it, guys like Coleman are eventually going to track this stuff down. Other thing, while we're talking about reporters, I know you probably got something else, but I want to get this while I'm thinking about it. Scott Waldman writes for E&E. He used to be a reporter from the New York Times. Um, Scott and I probably don't agree on hardly anything. But I've talked to him a few times. He, he is fairly a, fair. He is fair. He is a good reporter, yeah. a good reporter. Um, he wrote this great story in Eni about the um, about the summit, um, the climate summit. You know that no one wants to uh, talk about because it was a bust. Um, Scott wrote a story about how it was a bust, how none of the other countries wanted to play: China, and Russia, India, Australia, Japan. Nobody else came forward with any great big giant additional pledges, like the Biden guys thought, like the Biden guys said was going to happen before the before the summit. So not only is the 50%, 52% completely, um, oh, it's made up of whole cloth. Um, they they um, wildly underestimated their popularity with the rest of the kids in the <laughs> schoolyard. Thank you for bringing up the summit. Yeah, man. I appreciate it because I have a clip. <laughs> I, I scourged the, the internets. This, I found this... the best clip of the entire summit. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. Oh, this is a doozy. Sure. It's vital for all of us uh, uh, to show that this is not all about uh, some expensive, uh, politically correct, uh, green act of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of bunny-hugging, uh, or, or, or however you want to put it. I'm not even with bunny-hugging, but I, you, you know what I'm driving at, <laughs> uh, friends and colleagues. This is about growth 
and jobs. And I think the president was absolutely right uh, to, to stress that. And I, I want to leave you with the thought that uh, we can build back better from this <laughs> pandemic by building back greener. Thank you, Bojo. Okay, so... The biggest fraud in the history of conservative so politics. Just... I have been duped by Bojo. I was a big Bojo fan. I thought he managed Brexit brilliantly. He is a fraud and a con, and he is on the top of the list of globalists. But... Funny as hell, bunny hugging. Bunny hugging, yeah. I was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. not that there's anything against bunny hugging. I'm like, you know, what the hell don't is want that? to offend the bunny huggers. The, the other, yeah, the, and, we'll, and he didn't blow the build back better line like Biden did. He's, last he night, did so. his best to blow the build he back tried, better but line. He did. The, the thing that, um, <laughs> the other thing that struck me about that is when when you have to pause that long in the middle of what you're yeah. thinking, you are clearly trying to say something that you it know people exactly don't want to hear. Exactly what I was gonna say. I it pains these people sometimes to say this stuff with a straight face. Well, on the other hand, they got to say stuff like existential threat and the and bunny hugging. So it's can't be too good. All right, uh, <laughs> one more in the climate department, uh, and then I'm going to move on to some oil. Uh, big announcement: Epicurious. Yeah, I saw that. Today, we announced that we are no longer providing menus that include beef. Yeah, I saw that. Today, we're cutting out beef. It won't appear in new Epi recipes, articles, newsletters, or on social. This isn't a, isn't a vendetta against cows or people who eat them. It's, about, it's a shift about sustainability. No, not anti-beef, but pro-planet, says Epicurious. Hmm. Uh, um, bold wokeness I'm by Epicurious. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest with you. I'm not a foodie, so I, I don't even know what Epicurious was until they did this. So if their goal was to try to get like brand awareness, it worked. Um, I got to believe nobody cares. Yeah, well, um, I people also... do care because, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, the conservative Twitter went went, went crazy Okay, about what it, I but... mean is, what I mean is people with IQs above... 90 don't care but it's not really that clever woke wokeness because epicurious is a magazine that is part of the conde nast family yeah. which is part of a conglomerate that's even one chain above conde nast and oh by the way tell me they own tell me they own bon tell me they own they ranches also own bon appetit bon appetit and bon appetit uh, if you look on bon appetit uh, they sell you, there's lots and lots of beef recipes and by the way almost every recipe on epicurious is also on bon appetit it's just branded a little bit differently oh, I see. so I, it's just you this is just silly it's ridiculous silly stuff like i i would i that, that story would have a lot better ending if you said that they own like cattle ranches in Argentina well, or something. That, okay, well, let's talk about that. For all you know, they do, right? Let's talk about that. Because you remember the North Face, right? Sure, man. How they refused to let, let their product yeah, be purchased yeah, yeah. by an oil and gas company. Yeah. North Face, the, the parent company of North Face, also has brands that sell exclusively, almost exclusively to oil, oil and gas Oil field workers. services? Oil field services. Services, guys? You, you had to know something like that was flowing around. Right? You... you that, my favorite part of that whole story, I mean, you saw what the you saw what the the Colorado oil and gas yeah, guys I was did. part of that. Yeah, we, I was, was along on a press was, press was, conference along with. It was uh, genius. It was genius to give to give North Face the Consumer of the Year award yeah, or whatever the hell it was. Great, it was genius. It, I, I guarantee you, um, 
somebody in this somebody in that chain of companies owns some interest in beef, right? They own a chunk of whatever Conagra. I guess Conagra is privately held. I don't know. They own a chunk of somebody. Um, the other thing that strikes me is why are chickens okay? <laughs> that was the next part. But because they're they're not uh, they're not on the. They're not what? They're not. They're not the EV and the in the cow, right? Those are the two symbols. Well, but I mean, if you don't eat beef, you're going to eat more chicken and pork, aren't you? Why are pigs? Why are pigs okay? That's what's next. I, uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to Chris Wright too, the CEO of Liberty Oil Field Services, because yeah. he's a happy warrior on this, and uh, he and a couple others uh, did spearhead the idea of of showcasing the North Base in a very good. positive way. We basically said, look. Without oil and gas, we would not have all this amazing outdoor yeah, recreational opportunities, right? And then my role was to talk about the, the role you, you of uh, oil and gas in vaccines. North Face should definitely divest itself of oil and gas. They should not use the product anymore. Let, let's see what they can come up with. So, you know what? Good on Epicurious. I will be searching I... for my beef recipes on either the New York Times cooking I speak <laughs> for... website or... Bon Appetit, which is basically the I, same thing. I think I speak for most people in America when I say, get yourself a Joya cooking cookbook, and that's fine. That's all you need, right? Don't, don't, don't. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should not be paying attention to these commies anyway, Tom. Come on, man. All right. What do you have? Anything? Uh, no, I just want to talk about the speech a little bit, and I think we we beat that to death. Um, I, you know, okay, it, let me get into a quick. Um, you want to say something about oil? Yeah. Two two quick things. One, um, Brent Brent crude climbed above sixty eight point three yeah, cents. Sure, sixty eight dollars and thirty cents a barrel yeah. to its highest in more than a month. Brent has recovered all the losses from the mini tantrum of mid March when it plunged negative uh, ten just a few in just a few days. Okay, that was a tweet from Javier Blas. Yeah, Javier Blas. Yeah. Okay, then I stumbled on. A second article, which I thought was even more interesting because of uh, who forecasted it. Goldman Sachs forecast the biggest jump in oil demand ever. Jo this is from uh, CNBC. Goldman Sachs is forecasting the largest jump on record as the world opens up again amid the, the COVID-19 uh, uh, yeah. vaccination rollout. The firm is raising its outlook on oil based on this expected upswing in demand. The magnitude of the coming change in the volume of demand, a change which supply cannot match, must not be understated. Yeah. It said Wednesday in a note to clients. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, the only thing I disagree, not disagree, the only the only nuance I'd put on it is I think it's going to be long dated, right? I think, um, I think it's going to be 2022 before the system starts to short. And um, and you're going to wind up with you're going to wind up with a hundred bucks a barrel. We I thought we hit peak demand. I the, know we hit peak. We hit peak oil, which was a complete I think, lie. I, I think we've hit peak demand for the Mike and Tom podcast. But I don't <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, because we gotta demand. go, man. We gotta get, I don't know hit about, the road. I don't know about peak demand for oil. <laughs> it, it, it. Um, look, Tom, I'm just gonna say this once. It's an existential crisis. The, these okay, but this, this wall, the, the Epicurious wall is crew, saving us with beef. The Wall thing. Street crew, they just drive me nuts. Because they're just completely agnostic about all this. They're driving a lot of hysteria. To raise to what? To create markets. Oh, I think the goal. Right? Well, yeah. One episode, we are going to break down what has gone, what the European Union has done and spent. 
Oh yeah. On green on trying to green their economy, green their grid, green their transmission, green their electrification. Yes. Etc. And, and they failed. see what they've well, gotten. They more as a or less failed. We're right? going to spend a little time yeah, it, on it, the numbers on that. It, it, you know, the thing about these, the thing about these trading houses is they're big, and they have lots of people with different think, with different theories about how the world should go. The oil desk at Goldman Sachs doesn't care about climate change. They care about oil. Exactly. And you know, they 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 have to be right. Uh, otherwise, they got to go find jobs in real estate. So, um, and like I said, I think they're right. I think we're heading towards. Um, I think we're heading towards. Hundred dollars a barrel. This time next year, right? And and the thing that, ironically enough, the thing that that um, not everybody has baked into their cakes, is the steady, steady, steady pull of Chinese demand. Yeah, you know the fact that they're building storage tanks. Oh yeah, China's during the pandemic, they uh, we have an article. We'll put it in the show notes. We talked about the 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 amount of oil they were storing. Yeah. While we were running around hysterically wiping our our groceries, yeah, with, they're, with they're, Clorox wipes that we could barely find. They're the probably going to pass us next year in refinery capacity, not throughput, but capacity. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's the the it, unless you can imagine um, real discord and disruption in China, you're going to be looking at at, at oil um, demand increasing for. The remainder of our natural life's problem. And it all circles back. Circle back. Circles back. I'll have to circle back to you on that. To U.S. versus China and the future, right? And uh, I was, we're not going to get back into the speech, but it was it was pretty weak, weak sauce. On the China thing. On the China thing. And I'm so tired of hearing him talk about his trip that he took and the, the 24 Hours. Hundred miles that he, you know, the the, you know, it's just like guy. It's so old and exhausting. I I don't, you know, I don't completely understand why you'd brag about spending time with a guy who's responsible, personally or otherwise, for. Let's run down the list real quick: slavery, torture, murder, rape, um, internment in concentration camps, violating the WTO, violating the WTO, <laughs> crushing crushing democracy in Hong yeah. Kong. In religious persecution, stomping the cap, both yeah. the Catholic Church, the Ouija's, and the um, the Falun Gong, um, and and buzzing the buzzing uh, the theft of know, intellectual property, planes over Taiwan, the international hooliganism yeah. in the South China Sea. Nothing I, going I, on there. I, I'm not exactly sure why you like take that guy and say, "Oh yeah, that guy's a good friend of mine. But I we, know him." But we can't. But we can separate those issues and climate change. We got to run, guys. Jordan Montgomery's on the bump. Is it Jordan? Yep. We're going to Gumby, Baltimore. Gumby, We're Gumby, going, I feel like a real person. I'm going to a baseball game this afternoon. Let's see how it turns out. Woohoo! That's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. No clip of the day. Sorry, but uh, well, wait a minute. Wait, I do have a clip of the day. Uh oh. I'm gonna rerun it. It's just too good. It's just too good. I sense a clip from Colorado in our near future. It's vital oh, for no. all of us <laughs> uh, to show that this is not all about uh, some expensive, uh, politically correct, uh, green act of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of bunny hugging. This is nothing wrong with bunny hugging, folks. That's a wrap. Peace out. <laughs>